Thank you for your presence tonight. We appreciate so much you being here. Very grateful for the opportunity that we have tonight to come together to study God's Word. We're going to be talking tonight about the Apostle Paul. And we continue to make our way through some of the great characters of Scripture. And in years past, we've looked at some of the great passages of Scripture. We've looked at some of the great chapters in the Bible. And this year, we're looking at some of the great characters. And tonight, we want to turn our attention to the Apostle Paul. There's so much that can be said about the life of Paul. And so what we're going to try to do is condense that into just a very short lesson because there's just so much material cataloged in Scripture. But tonight we're going to be thinking about the life of the immortal Apostle Paul. And so I would direct your attention to 1 Timothy chapter 1, the passage Jordan read a moment ago. We're going to be using that as the basis of our study today, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. I want to begin as we think about the Apostle Paul. And Paul is a Latin name. Saul, of course, would be his Hebrew name. And we are introduced to Saul of Tarsus initially, and then a little bit later in Scripture he is identified or referred to as Paul. And so many of us, that's the name that we're familiar with. So I want to go back and talk for a minute or two about his past. As we think about his past, I want to just say very quickly, of all the people that you read about in the New Testament, would you not say that Saul of Tarsus would have been an unlikely candidate to become a New Testament Christian. I mean, think about this guy. You remember when he wrote to the saints in Philippi? He said that he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Pharisee. He had sat at the feet of Gamaliel, an esteemed teacher of the law. Saul of Tarsus was highly educated, motivated to serve Almighty God. And so, did everything within his power to destroy those who were followers of the way. And so as we talk about Saul's past or Paul's past, number one, to understand that he was a persecutor of the church. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul brings to mind his former life as a persecutor, a blasphemer. He said, an insolent man. But note if you would what he says. I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Now, you remember when Luke tells us, recording the words of Paul, he said, I've lived in good conscience, all good conscience, until this day. Paul believed that what he was doing was the right thing to do. And you go back and you look at the record. In Acts chapter 7, we read about the first martyred New Testament Christian, a fellow by the name of Stephen. And you remember after that great lesson that it presented and really providing the people of that day with a narrative of God's redemptive plan culminating in the Christ. You remember the Bible tells us that they laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And Luke says in chapter 8 that Saul was consenting unto his death. And so here is this great man, Stephen, martyred, stoned to death, and Saul is right there with them consenting to his death. Now, in Acts chapter 26, when the Apostle Paul recounts his life as a zealous Jew, you remember he would say on one occasion, I did many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. He'd received letters from the high priest. Matter of fact, he said he punished them often in every synagogue. 
when they were put to death, Paul would acknowledge, I consented or I cast my vote against them. So here's a guy that was intent on destroying the cause of Christ. Luke said in Acts chapter 8 that Saul made havoc of the church. So he was a modern day terrorist as we would know him, wouldn't, wouldn't he be? I mean, you think about, here's a guy that did everything within his power to bring down the church that Jesus promised to build and that he had purchased with his blood. So he is a great persecutor intent on destroying New Testament Christianity. But then note if you would in Act, or rather in 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul not only identifies himself as a persecutor, but Paul makes a profession, makes a statement about his life as a zealous Jew. He said, this is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now listen to what he said, of whom I am chief. Do you think the Apostle Paul could identify with people who were bearing the guilt and shame of sin in his day? Did Paul know something about the weight of sin? Listen, if anybody understood something about God's grace, mercy, and love, I think Paul did. Matter of fact, when you go back and you look at the record and begin analyzing the work of Saul, the fact that here was a guy that believed strongly in Judaism, didn't he? Believed in the law, the Mosaic dispensation. And so here is a guy that had it not been for the Lord's intervention in his life, you think he would have been turned around, think somebody could have reached him? Maybe, maybe not. But Paul here says that he was the chief of sinners. I think really what he's saying is, if you want to know something about what it means to live a life of sin, if you need some benchmark, if you please, to understand what it means to live a life outside of Christ, he'd say, I'm the guy you need to talk to. I'm the guy. Now, there's a second thing I want to share with you in our study. First, we think about his past. But then secondly, his pardon. What about his pardon? Now, I want to just call attention, first of all, to what he says in our lesson text. You remember after talking about how he had been a blasphemer, persecutor, insolent man. He said, I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And then he said, And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. Did Paul know something about the manifestation of God's marvelous, matchless grace? The answer would be yes. Well, how so? Let's just go back and look at Acts chapter 9. I want you to see some things in Acts 9 as we think about his pardon. It might be that you maybe want to make a notation or two in the margin of your Bible because I think that as we talk to people about Christ and about trying to convert people to New Testament Christianity, what is recorded in Acts chapter 9 I think is highly significant. So Paul has received letters from the high priest, possibly Caiaphas, to go to Damascus, about 130, 140 miles away from Jerusalem, to find those who were disciples of the Lord, and to bring them back bound to Jerusalem. The text tells us, as they journey, you remember the Lord appears to him. 
And the Lord says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, Saul of Tarsus wasn't familiar with Jesus of Nazareth, was he? Jesus, in this context, listen to what he says. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, verse 5. It's hard for you to kick against the goats. And then Saul, trembling and astonished, would say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. That's an important statement there. Very important in the grand scheme of things. Because what God is saying, what the Lord Jesus is saying to the Apostle Paul is, there are certain things that you must do in order to tap into this redemptive plan. And so the Bible says, drop down if you would and look at verse 9. In verse 9, the Bible tells us, For three days he's without sight, fasting, neither eating nor drinking. And then the Bible says in verse 10 that there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And he said to him, Lord, or rather, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in the vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And he said, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he's praying. Now again, another very important point set forth by Luke, the inspired historian. And the Bible says in verse, note if you would, verse 12, In a vision he, that is Saul, has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Ananias, to him this was incredulous. You want me, you want me to go talk to Saul of Tarsus. I mean, listen, the reputation of Saul is well known by a lot of folks. Listen to what he says. I have heard from many about this man, how much harm, how many bad things he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. And what was it the Lord said in this context? Do you remember? The Lord said, go your way. Why? He is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. And then he said in about verse 16, and I will show him how many things he will suffer for my name's sake. Ultimately, Paul lived to fulfill that prophecy, didn't he? So what about God's grace? Well, Paul said that his grace was exceedingly abundant toward him. Do you remember in Romans chapter 5 and about verse 20, where Paul said that where sin abounds, grace abounds, listen to him, much more. Saul has already said, based on our text, I'm the chief of sinners. So here is a guy in need of salvation, in need of God's grace. We've said before, wherever God's grace goes, it is always accompanied by divine teaching, right? So in light of that, Saul of Tarsus is instructed by Ananias with regard to terms of admission into the church that Jesus built and purchased with His blood. So look again at Acts chapter 9. I want you to 
Maybe see something here. Look again in Acts chapter 9. Here's what the record says concerning his conversion. Verse 17, Ananias went his way, entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. He received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. Now note how different this conversion story is compared to what we typically hear relate to us by those in denominationalism. What do they say? They will tell you that all you have to do is accept the Lord Jesus into your heart, pray the sinner's prayer, and you will become a child of the living God. Is that what Saul of Tarsus did? The Bible already said, for three days he's without sight, he's praying, he's fasting, is he saved at that point in time? Absolutely not. You remember when Paul recounted that story over in Acts chapter 22. When Paul said, Ananias said to him, and now what are you waiting on? Arise and be baptized, okay? Why? To wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now wait a minute. You mean to tell me that one of the ways or how we call on the name of the Lord is by being baptized into Christ. That's exactly right. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But God has given very specific instructions on what we must do to become one of His children. So what about this pardon that Paul enjoyed? Paul knew something about God's grace. Matter of fact, Paul wrote extensively about His grace, didn't he? For example, in Titus chapter 2, Paul said the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation, listen to him, every man. That was inclusive for Paul, wasn't it? Paul came to understand that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to this earth, and because of the tremendous love that he had for the human family, willingly went to Calvary. What was it he said in Romans chapter 5, verse 8? God commends His own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You remember in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, Paul said, By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast or glory. Paul appreciated God's grace. As a matter of fact, Paul would say in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, God's grace is located in one place. Well, where would that be? It's in Christ. Was Paul in Christ? When the Lord appeared to him on the road to Damascus? Absolutely not. For three days he's fasting and praying. He's not a member of the body of Christ. His sins haven't been washed away. However, when Saul of Tarsus came and set forth the divine instructions, Saul of Tarsus was baptized into Christ for what reason? So that he might appropriate the blood of Jesus. Now please don't miss this. We can't be saved separate and apart from the blood of Christ. The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Hebrews 9.22 Where then did Jesus shed His blood? He shed His blood on Calvary, didn't He? 
John 19, 34 and 35. And Paul would write to the church at Rome. And he would say that all who are baptized into Christ Jesus are baptized, listen to him, into his death. All right, Paul, what about God's pardon? What about God's grace? Well, Paul said salvation is located in Christ Jesus, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10. And in Christ Jesus, God's grace is located. In Christ Jesus, every single spiritual blessing known to man resides. So what that says to us is, in order for us to appropriate those blessings and benefits, we've got to be in Christ, don't we? So Ananias instructs Saul of Tarsus, Arise, be baptized, and wash away your sins. Let me ask you this question. Is that what they did on Pentecost Day? You ever thought about the beauty, harmony, and symmetry of Scripture? The psalmist said, The sum of your word is truth. We can't just pick and choose passages of Scripture and paste them together. But rather, we've got to look at context. That is, specific context. And then thematically, we need to look at the larger context. What then did Saul of Tarsus do in order to become a child of God? Did he believe Jesus to be the Son of God? Did he come to an understanding of who Jesus of Nazareth was? Yes, he did. He couldn't have been an apostle had he not seen the Lord. So now his faith is in Jesus. And just like those people on Pentecost Day, he's got to repent of sin, doesn't he? What sin? All the sins that he had committed. We talk again about what an unlikely candidate Saul of Tarsus was. And yet, he believed in the Lord, repented of his sins, confessed the name of Christ, and then he was baptized. Well, why? So that he might enjoy salvation. That's what Jesus said, Mark 16, 16. So that he might appropriate the remission of sins. That's what Peter said, Acts 2, verse 38. So that his sins might be washed away. That's what Paul said, Acts 22, verse 16. So here's my question. Who will you believe? Will you believe what the Bible says or what other people say? Did Saul of Tarsus, Paul, did he enjoy the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus? Yes. And you remember in Ephesians chapter 1 talking about God's grace. I believe fully in the grace of God and I am grateful for God's grace. And I know that in order for me to be saved, I've got to be saved through God's matchless grace. It's not just grace alone. In Ephesians 1, 6, Paul said, To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He has made us accepted in the Beloved. He said, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. In that one verse, Paul stipulates the person of salvation. That's Jesus. Sets forth the place of salvation. That's in Him. The price of our salvation. That's His blood. And then he praises God for that marvelous redemptive plan. There's a third thing I want to share with you in our study. First, we talk about his past. Secondly, his pardon. And by the way, let me ask this question. What church did Paul belong to? When he was saved as a result of obeying the gospel, recorded by Luke, 
In Acts 9, 22 and 26, we know that he became a part of the church, didn't he? I mean, didn't he write in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, by one spirit were you all baptized into one body? Paul, then, are you saying there's just one body? That's exactly right, Ephesians 4, 4. Well, what's the body? Put all things in subjection under his feet, made him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. Paul, then, were you a part of the body of Christ? Yes. Well, what's so significant about that in Ephesians 5, 23? Paul said Jesus is the Savior of the body. And listen, there's just one. Just one body and just one head. And that's the one body that Paul belonged to. So now, what about his purpose? Did Paul have a purpose in life? Well, when the Apostle Paul recounted his conversion, you remember what he said? In Acts chapter 22, the Lord had instructed him to stand upon his feet. He said, for this reason I've appeared to you, for this purpose, that you might become a minister of the things which you have seen and things which I will yet reveal to you. He said, I'll deliver you from the Gentiles and from the Jewish people. Why? To open their eyes, that they might turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they might enjoy the forgiveness of sins and then enjoy that inheritance the Bible talks about. So what about his purpose? Let me just get you to look with me for a moment at what Paul says down in about verse 16 of 1 Timothy chapter 1. Listen to what he says. Well, I'll tell you what, back up and look at verse 12 first. First, note if you would that Paul says that the Lord put him into the ministry. Paul became an exhorter of the faith, didn't he? We would say he's a preacher of the gospel. The Apostle Paul traveled thousands of miles on behalf of Christ, not by plane, not by automobile, not by motorcycle, but rather the Apostle Paul went everywhere doing what? Preaching the gospel, didn't he? And who was the focal point of his message? Do you remember? When he wrote to the church at Corinth, what was it he said? We preach Christ Jesus as Lord. We don't preach ourselves, but rather Christ Jesus as Lord, ourselves as your servants for his sake. Why would Paul preach Christ? Because he believed in the power of the gospel and the power that Christ had to change hearts and lives. So with that being said, Paul said, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who's enabled me because He counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Contrast that with what he says in the next verse. Who formerly was a blasphemer, persecutor, insolent man. It doesn't matter what your past has been. Doesn't matter how deep you've been in sin. Doesn't matter how deep you may be in sin right now. To understand that through Christ, in Christ, there is hope. So Paul becomes this great evangelist. His goal is to open the eyes of people. Why? Because they're in spiritual darkness. What was it John said? 1 John 5 verse 19. The whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And Jesus said that light has come into the world. Men love darkness rather than light. 
So what Paul did was preach and teach the gospel. He would take the light of God's Word, shine it on sinful lives, and as a result of that, what would it do? Bring about conversion. Go back and read the book of Acts. Look at the number of congregations established by Paul and his fellow laborers. The great host of people that became obedient to the faith through his preaching and teaching was the power in the messenger or in the message. It's in the message, wasn't it? Paul said, The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But to us which are saved, it is the power of God. So, number one, to understand that Paul became an encourager of the faith. You remember when he wrote to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 5? And he would plead on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. I can just imagine Paul every single day thinking about, okay, who can I reach? Who can I talk to about Christ? Remember in Philippians chapter 1, Paul talks about his chains in Christ. He's in a Roman prison, chained to a prison guard. 24-7, Paul is chained to a prisoner. They're rotating these guards in and out every four to six hours. What do you think Paul's talking about? I suspect he talked a lot about Christ, don't you? I've got a captive audience for four hours, maybe six hours. I've got the opportunity to share the gospel of Christ with somebody who's lost and dying in sin. Do we understand the magnitude of sin? Is it possible that in our culture today that the whole concept of sin has been lost? We don't understand the consequences associated with living in sin. You know, we live in a day and time when people don't want to take responsibility. They don't want to take ownership for what they've done. And yet Paul said, all have sinned and come show the glory of God. Here's what Paul said, the wages of sin, listen to him, is death. Do you know what that means? Eternal separation from Almighty God. When Paul wrote in Ephesians 2.12, about those outside of covenant relationship with the Lord, he said they are without hope and without God in the world. I suspect Paul looked in the eyes of many, many people. Behind those eyes he saw a soul that would live forever. And so his goal, his desire was to share the unsearchable riches of Christ. As he would say in Colossians 1, Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's a second thought. First, he was an encourager, an exhorter of the faith, but secondly, he became an example of the faith. Well, how do I know that? Well, look at verse 16. He said, For this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on Him for everlasting life. What are you saying, Paul? I think God used Paul in a very prolific way. One way was that he was a walking billboard for the Lord Jesus Christ. And what Paul could say to any person stuck in the muck and the mire of sin, he could say, look, I know where you are. I've been there. I know what it's like to be lost. I know what it means to feel like you are the chief of sinners. Are there people in our world tonight 
that in their heart of hearts, they feel like they are a lost cause? In, in their mind, are they not thinking, why would God love me? I mean, what would God see in me? Do you understand what I have done? Do you have a sense of where I've been? Do you understand what my life has been like? I mean, I have been so caught up in the world and a life of sin, I don't have a prayer. I think Paul would say, I think Paul would say to those people, listen, you do have hope. And that hope is founded in Christ and His Word. You ever talk to somebody? Let's just say that you're talking to somebody at maybe at the office or at work or at school. And maybe they've done some bad things. Maybe they've been in some bad places. And possibly they feel as if they are beyond the scope of redemption. And you can say, listen, I, you need to understand something. If we were perfect, the Lord would never have come, would He? There's some folks that have this idea that they'll just never measure up, never be good. Listen, we'll never be good enough. We'll never measure up. You talk about the church? The church is a hospital. The last time I checked, hospitals are for sick people, aren't they? Well, those of us who are in Christ, we have been delivered out of the power of darkness, translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. We are a part of the ecclesia, the community of the saved. And so Paul could say to people in his day and time, listen, I know, I understand. You feel as if God's grace could in no way cover your sins. That the blood of Christ is not sufficient to save you. And Paul could say, listen, I got news for you. That's not the case. There's hope for you. There are people that have difficulty letting go of the past. And I really believe that one of the great tools of the devil is to somehow deceive people into thinking that God doesn't want anything to do with them. That they're beyond that scope of redemption. And Paul's saying, look, God has used me as a pattern for those who are going to believe on Him to everlasting life. Aren't you grateful for the life of Paul? I mean, look at his life. Do you think, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day. And this brother had lived a rough, rough life. And I suspect had people that had known him if you could have asked them, do you see this, this person becoming a Christian and living a faithful life, they would have said, absolutely not. It might be that you're here tonight and you're thinking right now, I'm not worthy of the love of Christ. I'm not worthy of the grace of God. I don't deserve salvation. Listen, it's not about worthiness or deserving. It's about understanding the gospel. 
the power of the gospel. The fact that God used Paul as a great example to people just like us to say to all of us, there is hope. Hope is a great word, isn't it? Aren't you thankful to live in hope of life eternal? There are people in our world tonight, they don't have any hope. They'll tell you they don't. And there are folks that have chosen not to put their faith and trust in God. There are folks in our world that have repudiated, rejected the gospel system. Terrible thing. Because in so doing, their soul is at risk. So what about you tonight? You look at the life of Paul. Yes, he was a great evangelist. Yes, he wrote by inspiration some 13 books in the New Testament. Yes, he did a lot of things. But Paul would say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul was used by God in a great way. And you think about you, your life. Did you know that God can transform your life? That God can take you and use you in a great way to be a light in a darkened world, to be a shining light for good, to be a redeemed person. Well, what would you need to do? Well, just what we've been talking about, just what Paul did. Believe Jesus to be the Son of God. Repent of your sins. Confess His name. Be baptized into Christ. When you do that, you enjoy pardon. And listen, if you've been out in that distant country and you've been living a life of sin, and those people that you used to run with, when they hear you became, or you, when they hear that you become a child of God, it might be that they'll say, you know what, what you have, I want. It might be that will open the door for you to talk to them, to lead them to Christ. If you're here tonight and you're not faithful to His cause, would you not come home? The Bible says, confess your faults one to another, pray one for another. We would be more than honored to pray with you and for you. And listen, God will abundantly pardon every sin. Won't you come as we stand and sing?